0: How is everybody? Good, good, good. Oh! (laughs) Somebody just said go dogs. (laughs) Like, wow. Uh, That's how we're feeling today in the room at Gwinnett Church. Welcome, everybody, online and over at East Cobb. Hopefully, y'all are doing well. Uh, This crowd today is lively, so I like it. yeah, so welcome to Gwinnett Church. My name is, my name is Reed, and um, if you're just joining us, welcome. We are in the middle of a three-part series called The Resurrected Life, where we're talking about how the resurrection of Jesus impacts our lives here and now. And so uh, just to catch you up to speed, if you missed last week, uh, we talked about how Jesus promised that his death and resurrection uh, was actually the starting line and not the finish line of our lives and of his movement. And so Jesus said, Hey, actually, when I leave, it's going to be better for you. It's going to be to your advantage that I go and, and I'm going to send you a helper to help you to do and become all that I created you to do and become in this helper that I'm going to send you is my Holy Spirit, the intimate and animated uh, God in us, right? Presence of God within us. And so he says, I'm going to give my Holy Spirit to you. And the reason why that's a good thing for us, uh, we we learned last week, the reason why that's actually even better than Jesus beside us, the Spirit inside us, is because uh, when the Holy Spirit is inside us, now we're invited to play a part and we're invited to participate in the life that Jesus has called us to live live. With Jesus beside us, we're tempted to just spectate and watch Jesus do the work. No thanks, Jesus, you do that, right? Uh, But with Jesus, with the presence of Jesus inside us via the Holy Spirit, we're now invited to participate and experience the life that he has for us. And we said that the Holy Spirit helps us to live this Christian life, right? In in a number of ways. In the three that we looked at uh, last week, we said that the Holy Spirit comforts us, when life feels discouraging or scary or overwhelming, the Holy Spirit gives us comfort through his presence, that the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin and shows us the areas of our life that aren't leading us into life. And so the Holy Spirit convicts us and gives us a distaste for our sin and a desire to change. And then we said that the Holy Spirit also helps us by counseling, by guiding, by leading us into all truth, and showing us how to live and love like Jesus. And so we said that this is the way that we live the Christian life. It's via the power of the Holy Spirit. This is how we experience this resurrected life that Jesus promised that we could have. And now uh, this week, we're gonna tackle um, something else along these same lines. We're gonna be asking ourselves the question, okay, so uh, I've got the Holy Spirit. So if I've put my trust in Jesus, I've got the Holy Spirit. If he puts his spirit in me, if that's really true, then why am I still struggling? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Like, okay, I've got the spirit. The the same spirit, Jesus said, that raised Christ from the dead, that raised him from the dead, is living in you when you put your faith in him. And yet there are days, there are weeks, there are months. For some of you, there are lifetimes where you still struggle with the same old stuff. And you're like, if I've got the spirit of God in me, then why am I still struggling with those same actions, with those same habits, with those same patterns? with those same reactions, with that same attitude, with that same addiction. And so what we're gonna ask ourselves today is, what's the deal with that? Because if we're being honest, a lot of us, we would say, hey, I believe in Jesus, but I'm still struggling. And it's frustrating. And for some of you here today, uh, you're skeptical about faith and the reason why you're skeptical, uh, skeptical, rewind, the reason why, you're skeptical about faith is because you've encountered Christians who say, Jesus changed my life, but they don't look so changed. And so there are some of you in here and you, you, you have doubts about this whole Christianity thing because you've encountered Christians who they would say, hey, I've got this Holy Spirit in me and, and I'm different, but they don't look so different. And so what's with that? that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about why we still struggle and what we should do about it. And so, and so in order to do that, we'll just start off like and just address the elephant in the room. Hey, if if you're someone that still struggles, if you're someone that struggles to be consistent, if you're someone who looks and you go, hey, I noticed some gaps in my life between who I ought to be and who I actually am, who I want to be, and yet who I am on a day to day basis. If you're someone who recognizes you've got some gaps, you recognize you've got some inconsistencies. If you're a Christian in the room and you're like, yo, I've got some gaps, I'm still struggling. Um, the, the, The good news this morning is that you're actually in good Company, you're in good company. As a matter of fact, one of the most influential uh, and important Christians in all of history, this guy named the Apostle Paul, um, who he for sure like understood the message of Jesus, had the Holy Spirit, was living it out. As a matter of fact, there were more churches. Like he's responsible for most of the known world knowing about the message of Jesus, right? Like this guy got it, and yet he talks about in his own writings. He talks about his struggle to actually shrink some of those gaps. And he talks about his own struggle with knowing what Jesus did and yet not always living like it. And so we're gonna take a look at that this morning in the book of Romans. If, if you're not familiar, the book of Romans was written to a place called Yep, that's not a trick question. I know, you guys always think, y'all think I'm out here to get you and be like, Jesus juke you. I'm not. Uh, I'm here to, I'm I'm lobbing softballs to you so that you walk away feeling so much more spiritual than you actually are. And so... (laughs) And so I'm like trying to help you out here, right? Like, and so if I throw out a question, it's usually either gonna be uh, rhetorical to make you feel something or it's a softball. So come on. And so the book of Romans, right? Paul writes it to this place called Rome where there's this new Christian community that's forming. People are coming to know Jesus from all walks of life. And Paul wants to write them a letter to instruct them, to inform them, to teach them, and also to encourage them uh, about the death and the resurrection of of Jesus and what that means for their lives. Now, if you read through the book of Romans, it's, it's fascinating. Like it's, it's deep, it's challenging. It's got like tons of awesome, beautiful language. It's got really great theology, but it's also really, really practical in a lot of places. And so it's an awesome uh, book to read through. And, um, and so I would encourage you to read through the whole thing. We're not going to go through the whole thing because you all want to get to lunch. And so, um, and so We're going to look, though, at this one section where Paul addresses this struggle that you and I also feel. And so Paul is going to talk in Romans 6. And in Romans 6, he's going to talk about how by the death and the resurrection of Jesus, sin has lost its power in our lives, to which we're like, yeah, that's amazing. And so he says, you know, sin's lost its power over us. Now we're we're under a different power. It's the power of Jesus. And he says, but then he's gonna get into seven and he's gonna say, but even though I know that, and even though many of you know that, and even though I've experienced that, and many of you have experienced that, he's like, I still struggle. I want you to see, see how Paul says this. He, he says, I'm writing in yellow this morning. I just decided. He says, I do not understand what I do. <laughs> For what I want to do, I do not do. <laughs> but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. And as it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, but it's sin living in me for I know that good itself doesn't dwell in me that is in my sinful nature. He's like, in and of myself, I'm not that great of a person. And if we're all honest in and of ourselves, we all have this propensity towards that, which is not good for us, right? And so Paul's going like, I got this uh, going on inside of me. You can, you can sense the, the tension. He keeps going and he teases it out even more. He says, for I, I have the desire to do what's good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil that I do, not want to do or this, I keep on doing, right? Are you confused yet? There's lots of do do, right? Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it's sin that's living in me that does it. And so I find this law at work, although I want to do good. Evil is right there with me. Keeps going. Something's ready for you. (laughs) There was an alarm online in East Cobb. Somebody's alarm went off, so I called him out. He keeps going. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. In my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work within me waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner to the law of sin at work within me. He says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Do you feel the tension? Do you feel the struggle in Paul's words? It's like, I mean, it's, I do what I don't wanna do and the stuff that I don't wanna do, I keep doing that stuff and there's good things that I wanna do, but I don't do it. And I was actually kind of self-conscious about reading that because there's like do-do, you know what I mean? Like, and so... Um, yeah, Those of you that are immature and peaked at 16, you got that. And so um, there's still a little student pastor in me. So, But there's, that, there's this tension there of like, man, there's there is a version of me that I know I ought to be. And then there's who I actually am. And there's these gaps. There's this person that I know that I can be, that I probably should be. And then there's who I really am. There's these inconsistencies in me. There are times where I am feeling a bit hypocritical and I find myself wondering, like he, he, he says, uh, I love this, he says, I don't love it, but I, it's so relatable. He says, what a wretched man I am. It's like, he's going like, what is wrong with me? You ever feel that? Like, you're like, I, I should be past this by now. I should, I should be beyond this by now. Like, why, do, why am I still doing that? Why am I still acting that way and reacting that way? Why did I say that? Why do I keep saying that? Why do I keep looking at that stuff? Why do I constantly, even though I know there's freedom in Jesus, why do I constantly cope with a bottle? Like, what's wrong with me? Do you ever feel that? Paul's going, Me too. I feel this in myself, which is why I said, I like that Paul's so honest right here. He's like, what a wretched man I am. I can't believe I keep doing this. What's wrong with me? I feel this in myself. Uh, and and even, even now, just, I mean, just recently, like real recently, like two Saturdays ago, I, um, I found myself acting in a way where I'm like, I should be better than that. Um, it, I'll, I'll tell you the story. My my wife, uh, on Saturdays, Saturdays are like our day to like do family stuff and to like hang out and like also get things done because Sunday is like, Jesus, you know what I mean? Like, and that's um, my job. So... Um, and so, Sunday is work for me, right? And, and Friday, like the kids are off at school, so we don't get like, like the family time as much. So Saturday is like our day together. As a family, we have to do stuff. We can get things done around the house. We can get things done in the yard. We can go do stuff with the kids, all that kind of stuff. And so my wife's always looking forward to Saturday to get some things done or to like have plans, right? Uh, but the other thing, the other struggle with Saturday for me is that I also just want to do nothing, right? Uh, If I just totally being honest, right? Like, um, And so because I'm like, yo, I've been working all week. And so Saturday, I'm like, I just want to like watch some sports or like uh, just hang out or like read a book um, and just, you know, not do a whole lot. Well, two Saturdays ago, my wife had plans and... um, and when I say planned, like she was like, hey, spring is here. And so it is time to get our garden on. And, um, and so she was like, hey, I've got the whole Saturday planned. We are going to go to the nursery. We're going to go over to Home Depot. And we're going to go and like, get all the things. And we're going to be working in the yard. Aren't you excited? And I was like, yeah. But I was not I was not excited about this, and, uh, and so my wife, she's like, fine, I'll give you the morning off, I'll go run some of the errands, you watch the kids, but when I get back, we're getting to work, you know, she gets back home, and she's asking me for help, and I'm doing the like, in a minute, in a minute, you know what I'm talking about, right? Some of you are like, that's well, you, and so it's like in a minute, right? I'm like dragging my feet. I don't want to do it. And then finally I give in because I know that's what I'm supposed to do, you know? And I go out there and have you ever helped but with such a poor attitude that your helping was hurting? You know what I'm talking about? Like you're helping but you're not helping, right? Like That was the attitude that I went into this. And so I'm out there and I'm like grabbing the mulch out of the back of the truck and I'm throwing it so hard that the bags are like busting on the ground. I'm like, here's your mulch, you know, like, and I'm just like, I'm just throwing the bags on the ground. And as like, you know, my wife's like, these roots are so hard. I'm like, give me that, you know, like I'm just annihilating these roots. I'm flinging dirt everywhere. My kids are like, dad, stop, you know, And I'm just like, I'm like rage digging holes for her pot. Like I, I, there was one where I was like, I I didn't realize that I had gone down somewhere towards the middle of the earth to plant this like a tiny little flower. You know what I mean? Like my wife was like, I think it's too deep. And my my son's like, oh, you know, like. (laughs) I was just raging mad though, right? Like, and so I'm out there and I'm helping, but I'm not helping and everybody feels weird around me because my attitude is so poor. My kids are like, what's wrong with dad? <laughs> it was awful, right? And it's funny, we can laugh about it now, but can I tell you that two Saturdays ago, it was not funny. It was not funny, right? And we got to the end of the day and my wife and I, we put the kids to bed and we're sitting there and now it's like that, it's awkward, right? Because I've been mean all day and she's been kind of like fearing my wrath. Like, not that I'm like, Aah! you know, but like, I was just like mean. And, and now all of a sudden we're at the end of the day and she's like, I hope you're happy. And I'm like, what do you mean? And she was like, you literally like, you ruined Saturday. And I'm like, dang. And if I'm just being totally honest with you, right? Like I was laying there in bed and I knew she was right. And I kept thinking to myself, I'm like, I'm the the pastor of a church. I've been walking with Jesus for a long time. I should be better than that. I should be more mature than that. I should have outgrown that by now. And I felt myself in this verse that we just read, this passage that we just read, I felt myself thinking, why do I do that? What's up with me? Like, why am I still acting and reacting like that? So childish, so immature, so selfish. I'm like, cause that's really what it was. Saturday was an inconvenience to what I wanted to do. And so I acted like a jerk and I punished everybody else for it. And I found myself asking, why do I do that? And then I'm preparing for this series the whole time. And I'm sitting there thinking, I got the spirit of the living God in me and I'm acting like a selfish little kid. What's up? You ever feel like that? You ever find yourself struggling with stuff that you think, I should be past that. I should be over that. I should have grown beyond that. What is going on? And that's what Paul is describing. It's the human condition. And he's going, look, I get it. I feel it. He said, what a wretched man I am. And then he asked the question, who's gonna rescue me? From this body that's subject to death. Basically, what am I gonna what are we gonna do about it? Right? What are we gonna do about this? Like what's going on here? What Paul has described here in this passage is the reality that while sin is dead, Jesus has put sin to death, the power of sin is dead, its influence is still real. Yes? The power of sin is dead in your life. You no longer have to um, respond yes when sin comes knocking. You no longer have to answer that door. And yet, its influence is still very real. It's like um, the a few years ago, my wife and I were taking the trash out together. Oh my gosh, happy couple. So, um... We were taking out the trash together, right? I'm taking out the trash, she's taking out the recycling. We get out there, my wife drops the recycling because she sees a little slithery, a snake. It's a copperhead. And so, yeah. And so I did what every other great husband does. And I was like, ah, you know, like, and so I'm teasing. I went and got a shovel, right? And so I went and got a shovel and don't email me like, I, listen, I killed the snake, okay? so. I know, you're like, you should throw it in the woods. I'm like, no, you know, so, so I, I know, God's creation. So like, (laughs) not that guy. So, so I took a shovel, right? And I cut the head off of this snake. And, but its body kept like, la, 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 you know what I mean? Like, and I was like, Ooh, right? Like, and it was creepy. And I ended up Googling it afterwards. Like, cause I was like, that was weird. And it was like, hey, actually you need to watch out. They were like, cause yeah, the body still moves. The head can actually still bite. Exactly. That's what I said. I was like, oh, you know. <laughs> and in the same way, what Paul is describing here is that same thing. He says, sins the same way. He's like, Jesus cut the head off the snake. Jesus put sin to death, like it's power over you is no more, but it still has influence and it can still hurt you. And that's what's being described right here. Paul says, look, that's why you struggle. The reason why you struggle is not because you're an awful person, it's because you're a person person. The reason why you struggle is because there's still this thing called sin and it still has influence. It may not have power, it can't tell you what to do, but you can still say yes. And so Paul says, sometimes we do. So because there's this, this thing called sin that while Jesus has put its power to death, it still has influence in our lives. And sometimes we still say yes, that's why we still struggle. Even though we have the spirit of God in us, we still struggle because sin still has influence. And so what do we do though? That's what Paul asks, who's gonna rescue me from this? Do I just stay stuck? do I just keep struggling or is there a way forward? He's gonna answer his own question. He goes, it says right here, he says, who's gonna rescue me? He says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus. He says, all right. He's like, I know I'm a mess. I keep struggling. I don't always get this perfectly. I still have gaps. I still have inconsistencies. He says, but I look to Jesus and I look to Jesus because although I don't get it perfectly, Jesus was perfect so I don't have to be. It's good news today. He says, I look to Jesus because he was perfect so I don't have to be. Jesus set me right with God. We call that justification, yes? That's the fancy church word. He says, Jesus set me right with God so that now I'm not having to struggle to get right with God. And now he set me on a new path whereby which I can become more like him and experience victory over the struggles. And so he goes, I look to Jesus because Jesus has justified me and now he's invited me onto a new path. And we call that, that word is sanctification. Sanctification means a process whereby which we become more like Jesus. But it's a process, yes? It's a process whereby which we become more like Jesus. And so Paul is saying, hey, I'm still a mess. I still mess up, you do too. We still struggle, but there is hope when we look to Jesus because Jesus has set us right with God and he gives us a new path forward so that we can become more like him. And so how do we break out of this struggle cycle that so many of us find ourselves in? He says, well, it starts by looking to Jesus. It starts by looking to Jesus and then he's gonna keep going. And he's gonna say, therefore, just a note to self, whenever you see a therefore, like the old preachers used to say, the country preachers, they would say, when you see a therefore, son, you need to find out what it's there for. You know what I mean? And so... Therefore, when you're reading your Bibles, you can pause and go, what is that therefore, right? Like He says, therefore, meaning because we struggle, but because Jesus has set us free, he says, I wanna tell you something. I wanna tell you your part in this process. Jesus has invited you onto a new path. Jesus has lived perfect, so you don't have to be perfect. And he's invited you on a new path whereby which you can become like him. So he goes, therefore, because of Jesus, he says, therefore, There is now no condemnation. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So he says, hey, look to Jesus. When you find yourself struggling with the same old... and you know there's a big gap and you recognize the inconsistencies in your life. He's like, look, there's hope. There's hope in Jesus. He says, you look to Jesus and then you remember that because of Jesus, there's now no condemnation. You know what that, that word condemnation is like, like judgment coming down from above. And what Paul is saying is, hey, now because of Jesus, when you fail and you fall short, when I fail and I fall short, the good news of the gospel is that there's no condemnation. There is no judgment coming down from God anymore. There is no guilt or shame or judgment coming down from God towards you anymore when you fail and fall short, which is good news for everybody in here that says they struggle, yes? And so he he says there's no condemnation. Now, I just wanna pause real quick because we gotta address this. Paul says there's no condemnation, but he doesn't say there's no consequences for your sin. I got got some Christian moves on that. That was the, "Mm, I know, so... Paul says there's no condemnation. There's no guilt, shame, or judgment coming down from God. He set you free from that. So you don't have to beat yourself up when you fail and fall short. And you don't have to, you don't have to kill yourself because you struggle. You don't, have to, you don't have to beat yourself up and beat yourself down over that. But there are still consequences. There are still earthly consequences. Grace does not erase earthly consequences. So if you cheat on your taxes, there's consequences. If you cheat on your spouse, there's consequences. If you consistently cope with your stress and your worry and your anxiety with alcohol and you drink too much, there's consequences. If you're constantly looking at stuff that you got no business looking at on the internet, on your tablet, on your phone, there's consequences in your life, in your relationships, in your heart, in your character, in your mind, there's consequences. So Paul says, though, there's no condemnation. There's no guilt, there's no shame, there's no judgment for the sin that we find ourselves in. There might still be some consequences, but the good news is, the good news is, there is always, 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 when you sin and you struggle and you fail and you fall short, there is always, always, always the opportunity to embrace grace. So we look to Jesus when we struggle and we embrace grace. And embracing grace, let me tell you what that does. What grace is, is God's unmerited favor towards you. It's his love, acceptance, forgiveness towards you, not because of anything you've done, but because of what Jesus did, that's grace. And what you can do when you fail and fall short, the good news of the gospel that Paul is telling us is you can look to Jesus and you can embrace grace. And there is power in that. That's not tapping out. When you embrace grace, that's you going, hey, you know what? Like now I know I fell and, 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 and messed up and I know I fell short, but I'm gonna get back up instead of giving up. That's what grace gives you the power to do. When you embrace grace, it gives you the power to get up, to turn from your sin, to learn from your sin and to ultimately grow from what you just went through. And so there's so much power in that. And some of y'all, you need to embrace grace. You've been beating yourself up because you struggle. You've been beating yourself up instead of embracing grace. And for some of you in here today, you need to embrace grace. You've been allowing your sin to tell you that your issue is you. You've been allowing sin to tell you that because you failed, you're a failure. You've been allowing sin to tell you that what you did determines who you are. But there's a different message And Paul says, he invites you, embrace grace. There's grace for you. And grace says you can get up and you can turn and you can learn and you can grow. And that failure that you ran into and that struggle that you ran into, it does not have to define you now because of grace. It can refine you. So he says, we look to Jesus when we struggle What we do, those of us that have put our trust in Jesus, we look to Jesus, we embrace grace. And then he goes on, he's not done there. He's like, you embrace grace, absolutely. Thank you, Jesus, that you forgive me. But he goes on and he says, therefore, again, because of grace, under the umbrella of grace, he says, now we have an obligation, a commitment, We have a new commitment, not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you die because sin kills things. He says, but if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you'll live. And so he says, we look to Jesus, we embrace grace. And then you guys, what he's saying here is by the power of the spirit in you, you apply effort. I know that sounds contradictory. A lot of times in church, we make like grace and effort enemies. Like as if like, if you embrace grace, then you don't try anything. You're just like, God, just do it, ah, you know? And we make it out like if you, if there's any kind of effort, then somehow you've negated grace. But Paul doesn't say that. Paul doesn't teach that. I love how uh, there's a famous pastor, theologian, his name is Dallas Willard. And I love how he put it in regards to grace and effort. He says this, he said, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. He's saying, saying, hey, under the umbrella of grace, there is room for you to participate and to get to work. Not for something, that's earning, but from something. Hey, because God has put his spirit inside of me and has called me to live different and enabled me to live different, I'm gonna try to live different. And so I'm going to participate in the process. So we look to Jesus, we embrace grace, and then we apply some effort. That's where he says, put to death the deeds, the misdeeds of the body. In other places he'll say, in Galatians 5, he'll say, walk then by the spirit, meaning the spirit's working, but you got to do the walking. Yes. Or he'll say in uh, Philippians chapter two, verses 12 and 13, he'll say, uh, he'll say, work out your salvation for it's God who works in you. Yes. Meaning God is working in you, but you got to work it out, right? It's grace and effort. Another theologian, D.A. Carson, will, will call that grace driven effort. And so we actually get to work then on Eliminating some of sin's opportunities in our life, and we get rid of some of those things, and we change some habits, and we maybe make some changes to our environment, and we make some changes to our relationships. Some of you need to change your environments because you keep showing up in the same places and you wonder why you keep doing the same things. Some of you, you need to make some changes to your relationships because you keep hanging out with the same people and you keep doing the same things. And it's not that they're awful people, it's just that you can't handle them. And so you need to make some changes in those relationships. Some of you in the room, you need to go to bed at the same time as your spouse because you keep staying up too late and they're already in bed and it's tempting you to do some things and to look at some things you got no business looking at and it's affecting your relationship. And so I know they go to bed at 9.30 and I'm a night owl, but... You need to make some changes. You need to make some adjustments. You need to apply some effort under the banner of grace. You need to apply some effort to put to death sin. Maybe though, the, maybe the best effort you could put forth isn't necessarily on the things that you need to remove or to eliminate. It's in what you pursue. Let, let me explain. Maybe one of the best things that you could do in order to eliminate sin in your life is simply to prioritize your pursuit of Jesus. I'm telling you guys, maybe the maybe the most effective thing you could do in putting sin to death in your life and in putting struggles to bed in your life is to prioritize to or to reprioritize your personal pursuit of Jesus. Because, I'm gonna try to draw this, but this is a, Those are arrows, (laughs) sorry. If Jesus is over here, the opposite of Jesus, a lot of you would be like, it's the devil. And so um, it's not, I mean, sort of, but it's really your sinful nature. And so if you would simply prioritize your pursuit of Jesus, you will inevitably move away from sin, yes? If you you would prioritize your personal pursuit of Jesus and just go, I am going to chase after Jesus with everything I've got, you will inevitably be moving away from your sinful nature and your sinful desires in your life. Paul will call this in another place, he calls this feeding the spirit and starving the flesh. He just goes, you just feed the spirit and it starves the flesh you move towards Jesus and you're inevitably moving away from sin. And so maybe the grace-driven effort that you need to apply in your life is simply you just prioritizing or reprioritizing your pursuit of Jesus. I had to do this, you guys, just being honest, I had to do this, this this past couple years during COVID, Um, when it was like lockdown and and crazy and we're at home and all of my rhythms got jacked up. Anybody's rhythms get jacked up during COVID? No, all of you are just pillars of discipline. Okay. Those of you watching online, I'm in a room full of liars. And so, um, yeah, hopefully you guys are more honest over there. You probably are. So I got all my rhythms out of whack. And, my, and I'll just be totally honest with you, my personal pursuit of Jesus took a hit in that season. And the result was me parenting more out of anger and frustration, my wife and I arguing more, and sin showing up in those ways in my life and in my marriage. And the thing that helped me to put my sinful desires to death wasn't me sitting down and being like, all right, here's all the, you know, I'm gonna be a better parent today. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try harder in that. I just said, I am going, I need to reprioritize my personal pursuit of Jesus. So I just made a commitment in that season. I said, you know what? I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna give Jesus the first moments of my day again. I used to do that as a younger man. I used to do that and I need to do that again. And I started to. And now that's become my habit for the past couple years. I've been getting up, I get up in the morning, I go on a walk, I talk to Jesus, I ask the Holy Spirit to help. I get in the scriptures and I prioritize my pursuit of him. And it, it is bearing fruit. It is producing results in my life and in my marriage. And I am almost without even trying, putting sin to death in my life because I'm prioritizing my pursuit to the point now where my wife notices such a difference that if I sleep in too many mornings and I try to skip my mornings, she'll nudge me and go, you need to get up. And she's not like, oh, cause you're still out of shape. She's saying like, you need to get up and you need to go spend time with Jesus cause you're a better husband and you're a better dad and you're a better boss and you're a better friend and you're an all around better human being when you're prioritizing your pursuit of Jesus. And so she'll nudge me and go, get up. And so maybe that's what some of you need to do. You just need to prioritize that pursuit. And you need to apply a little effort. Under grace, you need to apply a little effort. And you guys, when we do that, when we look to Jesus, when we embrace grace, when we apply effort under the banner of grace, then what happens is, all of our struggles don't just poof, disappear, right? But what happens is, little by little, gradually, over time, we experience victories and we overcome and, and big struggles become small struggles. And heavy things become lighter. And some struggles get eliminated altogether. It's true. Some go away altogether and we overcome. That's amazing. Some of them just get lighter. Some of them just get easier to avoid. Some of them become far less frequent. And our lives look more like Jesus. This is what happens when we participate in the process that Jesus has invited us into. So what have we learned today? What have we learned today? That The power of sin is dead, but its influence is still real. But thanks be to Jesus, he has invited us into a process called sanctification. And it's a process, a lifelong process. And this process is about progress, not perfection. It's about progress, not perfection. And while the Holy Spirit is ultimately responsible for producing the results in your life, you have a part to play. And your part to play is to each and every day look to Jesus, embrace grace, and apply effort under the banner of grace, this grace-driven effort, and then to repeat that daily as often as needed so that the Holy Spirit can work in and through your efforts and make you look and live and love a little bit more like Jesus. Amen. I'm gonna pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Thank you that you've conquered the power of sin in our lives and you've given us the ability to say no when it comes knocking. I pray that by the Holy Spirit in us, that you would help us to shrink the gaps of our inconsistencies and our hypocrisies. I pray that you would help us to look to you when we fail and fall short, not to run from you, but to run to you. I pray that you would help us to look to you to embrace grace in our lives, knowing that our sins and our struggles don't define us. I pray that you would help us to embrace grace and then to apply effort to participate with you in this process whereby which you are changing our lives. So I pray that you would help us to participate in that. And as we do, I pray that you would give us victory, that you would give us freedom, that you would help us to overcome, that you would help us to put struggles to death and that you would help us uh, to experience life and life abundant in you, just like you promised. We pray all these things in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.